The very first words of the Bible read this way. When God began to create the heavens and the earth, the earth was without shape or form. It was dark over the deep sea, and God's wind swept over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and so light appeared. And God saw how good the light was, and God separated the light from darkness. God named the light day and the darkness night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Now the first two verses in the New Living Translation read this way, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Now both of these translations, the Common English Bible and the New Living Translation, they describe this formless, empty, shapeless, dark existence. Another word that has often been used is chaos. Now, why would the writer or the writers use this type of description? They weren't literally at that moment of creation when it happened. So how would they know? Well, to understand the intent of the writers, it's helpful to know when and why Genesis, the book of Genesis, was written and compiled. You see, Genesis first started as what was called oral tradition, stories about God and God's people that were handed down from generation to generation. And as these stories were told and retold, it shaped generations of Israelites as they began to understand their larger story. There always comes a point in which a group realizes they need to write these stories down. And so they're preserved for future generations. So we have the Torah. We have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy and the prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah. And all of these were put together during a time in the history of the Israelites in which they were experiencing significant confusion and chaos during the time of which is often called uh, the exile, uh, exile in Babylon around the 6th century. Now, to appreciate the term exile, we have to imagine this situation, a situation where the life you once lived is really no more. Everything you've ever relied on as certain and stable has been destroyed, even your place of worship and all your home and your place of worship, they've been destroyed and you've been uprooted from your very home and you've been, have, you've been forcibly taken to a whole new place and a whole new country, in this case, Babylon, where you're forced to live under a whole new set of rules as well as live according to their gods and their customs. And now you're living in a place that's completely foreign to your life and feels completely chaotic. It feels shapeless. It feels formless. It feels empty. And you experience this deep, dark void in your soul as long as you have been there. And for a while you're living there, it feels so uncertain. And in fact, early on in the book of Jeremiah, the prophet of Israel at that time, as Israel is experiencing these earliest stages of Babylonian displacement, we read these words, quote, I looked at the earth, and it was without shape or form, and the heavens there was no light. Now, these same words are the same language and experience that we read in the very first verses of Genesis. So to put it this way, Genesis was written and it was compiled during the time of the exile as a response to the chaos surrounding all the Israelites. It was this affirmation and reaffirmation of their faith and trust in God. And sometimes now I imagine a young Israelite child coming up to their parents during the time of the exile and feeling fearful and uncertain with all the chaos around them, and wondering how God fits into all of this and all of their life. And their parents sit them down and they say, 
Let me tell you a story. It's a very wonderful and beautiful story. At the very beginning of time, the earth was very chaotic. It was formless. It was empty. It was without shape. It had no meaning to it. But God was not far off. God, as spirit and presence, was hovering over all of this. And God saw all the potential that existed. And God decided to create something good. And God began by creating daytime, which was light. And then the darkness, God left as night. And God looked at all this and said, yeah, this is good. Now, one rabbi put it this way. These writings were held sacred because they helped people absorb the loss of the world they had known and offered a vision for a way forward. Now, for the Israelites, this story itself, the story of Genesis, helped them absorb the loss of their world in Jerusalem and Judah, and it offered a hope and a vision for a way forward now in Babylon and beyond. It was an affirmation and a reaffirmation of their faith and trust in God during a time in which their world felt felt very chaotic and turned all upside down. Now the story of the Israelites and the Genesis story is always our story because there are times in our lives when we feel void of meaning, we feel empty, things feel shapeless and chaotic and we grieve over once was and we look towards the future wondering what will be. Sometimes we have to absorb the loss of the world as the rabbi says. We have the world that we've known and the world in which we seek a vision for a way forward. And that's why it's a story that speaks very much to the condition of our world today. For we seemingly live in a world that feels very chaotic and void of any clear direction or hope. It's a world that feels fearful and sometimes uncertain. It's as if we live in foreign territory, territory that feels unknown because all the structures in our lives that have seemed to give a definition have changed and nothing feels the same anymore. I think that's why we need to claim the good news, the good news in this Genesis story, and live it as good news in the world in which we presently live. And this is the good news. The good news is that God is never very far from our chaos and our emptiness. In fact, as Genesis describes it, God as presence, God as spirit, is always hovering in and around our lives. God is always present with us, even in our chaotic times. God, in fact, the word spirit in the Genesis story is essentially the same word that is used in the New Testament to describe the Holy Spirit. Or as I've heard it before, God in the here and now. God as spirit, God as presence, is present with us through our personal times of chaos as well as our national times of chaos. As the Apostle Paul wrote in his letter to the Ephesians, I ask that God will strengthen you in your inner selves from the riches of his glory through the Spirit. You see, God is not only present around us and in our world, but God is present within us, as Paul says, in our inner selves to provide us with the strength that we need to make it through each day, each moment, each hour, as well as to live with courage through chaotic times. The other good news is that God, through the Spirit, is creating something new out of the chaos we presently live in. And this is how the Genesis story begins. God creates out of chaos. And God, through the Spirit, continues to create something new out of the chaos we presently live in, as well as any chaos you feel you're experiencing in your own life. In his book, Untamed, author Alan Hirsch writes this, quote, The Spirit is the agent of creation. 
inconceivable power and creativity reside in him. Look at the sheer genius evident in the design of the universe, the brilliant simplicity of this subatomic world or the intricacies of human nature. All are created by the Spirit of God. It is not too much to expect that where God is present, there will be this uprush of serious creativity. Now, it's interesting to note that scientists and mathematicians and people who work with systems and organizations often refer to what is called a term, the edge of chaos. And very simply, the edge of chaos is this transition space between disorder and order, or between order and disorder. In essence, that which is stable gives way to chaos and that and then gives way to creativity. And it's in these times of transition or these edges of chaos that new understandings, new learnings, new ways of living and existing can be discovered. So in many ways, life really is designed in such a way that death often precedes life or chaos often precedes life. Or to put it another way, letting go often precedes living into the new and experiencing renewed life. We see this in nature when during the autumn season, there is this letting go, and come spring, there's new life. We see it in the Christian faith as the death of Jesus precedes resurrection, and through Jesus' death, there is now new life. It's the faith that we hold when we stand beside the grave of a friend or a loved one or a family member, and we know that death is not the final word, but that death is often the beginning of new life. And maybe there often has to be the death of structures and systems that no longer produced life or never, or never produced life. In some ways, they were anti-life. Maybe there has to be the death of those kind of structures and systems. They have to die away and make room for the new life that God intends. And these in-between times, they can feel chaotic. But the trust and hope based on Genesis 1 is that God can and does create something new and good out of the chaos. And what God creates is intended for the flourishing of all. And time and time again in the scriptures, we read where God is making all things new. And even Paul, in his second letter to the Corinthians, uh, writes these words, quote, So then, if anyone is in Christ, that person is part of the new creation. The old things have gone away, and look, new things have arrived. And this language of creation that Paul uses is the same kind of language in Genesis 1, where God, through the Spirit, is creating something new out of all the chaos. Life is a continual rhythm of letting go and moving forward, of making room for the new that God is creating, and we see it, again, in the seasons of nature. We see it in the seasons of our own lives. We see it in the seasons of congregations and, and, and faith communities, always the letting go of something and making space for the new. And to be sure, there's sometimes grief in the letting go, but there's always hope, always hope in the awareness that out of the chaos, God will create something new. Again, to quote author Alan Hirsch, he puts it this way, It is remarkable to me that the theologically most fertile parts of the Bible are all, yes, all, set in the context of the people of God facing significant danger and chaos. Whether it's an Abraham called to leave home and journey, or in the harrowing adventure and experience of the exodus and exile, whether it is David's adventures, Jeremiah's struggles, Jesus' ministry, or the book of Acts, none of these, none of these were stable 
situations. Now, our world probably to most feels very chaotic and disordered right now. And I'm sure there are some of you inwardly, your soul feels very chaotic and disordered. And for others, as we unlearn who we have been and we're trying to open ourselves up to new understandings and awareness, that also feels very chaotic and disordered, especially if we feel that all we have ever known no longer makes sense and we're still trying to find our footing and that solid place to stand. And all of this feels scary, it feels unnerving, and at times it can feel frustrating. But I would say this, that it's in these moments that God would say to you and I, trust in me. What may seem chaotic at first is simply the prelude to the creation of something new and good. I have not left, God would say, my spirit is present. And I'm actively present in the world, creating and recreating so that all may flourish. And I would also say that these are moments in which God invites our own creativity to partner with God's creativity. That we are God's agents of creation in partnership with God's Spirit. So through our own creativity, we co-create with God this new world that God seeks and desires to create. So through our imagination, through our gifts, and through our abilities. And to be sure we are following God's lead, but in following God's lead, let's allow our creativity to flourish so we can change what needs to be changed. We can adapt what needs to be adapted. We can let go of what no longer works. And we make space for the new that God is growing right in our midst. And we will always know, always know it is of God when it bears the fruit of love, of peace, of goodness, of compassion, and upholding the dignity of all. In the midst of their own chaos, God tells the Israelites uh, through the prophet Isaiah these words, quote, Don't remember the prior things. Don't ponder ancient history. Look, I'm doing a new thing. Now it sprouts up. Don't you recognize it? I'm making a way in the desert, a path in the wilderness. See, this is not a world we can see yet in all of its fullness, but it is a world that God invites us to look for to pay attention to what I would call all the sprouts of newness, to use the language of the prophet Isaiah, to look for these sprouts of newness in our midst, sprouts of love and compassion, sprouts of neighborliness and justice, sprouts of new understandings that bring life, sprouts of new structures and systems that honor one another, sprouts of renewed spiritual life, sprouts of renewed awareness or looking out for one another and realizing we really are our brothers and sisters' keepers, sprouts of a hunger for justice for all, sprouts of racial harmony, sprouts of renewed commitment to embracing and living out our Quaker testimonies of simplicity, peace, integrity, community, equality, and service. And finally, sprouts of a deepened trust in God as we join God on this journey through change. Now here, once again, the promise in the Isaiah passage I just read. I am making a way in the desert, a path in the wilderness. And here's the promise. God will make a way through this wilderness. God will make a way through this bewildering time, but it is always a way that is leaving what no longer works or what needs to be relinquished and a way towards what is life-giving and fresh and new and in alignment with God's intentions for our world. All God asks is this, that we look around, that we pay attention that we begin to recognize the new sprouts of life of God's kingdom that is trying to take bloom within our heart, within our lives, and within our communities. 
I offer these words of the late African-American preacher and teacher Howard Thurman uh, when he wrote in the form of uh, a prayer. Long before I was born, God was at work, creating life, the nature and the world of people and things. The world were ideas in the mind of God that had been realizing themselves through the ages. God is not through with creation. God is not through with me. In quietness and confidence shall be my strength. So may we carry within us all a quiet confidence and strength nurtured by the awareness that God is not through with creation. God is not through with our world. God is not through with you and I. God is still at work making all things new. God is still hovering over us and within us as a life-giving creative force. God is still taking the chaos of our lives and the chaos of our world and creating that which is good. And God is not through with creating within you and I something new and something good and something wonderful and something life-giving. God is not through with creation, Howard Thurman writes. And God is not through with me. God is definitely not through with you. And God is not through with us, this deep river, friends.